Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Get ready for all the craziness of small business. It's exactly that craziness that makes it exciting and totally unbelievable. Small Business Radio is now on the air with your host, Barry Moltz. Well, thanks for joining this week's radio show. Remember, this is the final word in small business. Today, as I've been doing since the beginning of the pandemic, I'm recording this show from my home to your small business. For those keeping track, this is now show number 657. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, an amazing tool that can make it easy to build more reviews to grow your business. To get started, go to https colon slash slash nicejob.grsm.io slash Barry and get $50 off. It's also sponsored by Plastique, a smarter payment platform for your small business. Go to plastique.com slash Barry. Plastique is spelled P-L-A-S-T-I-Q for a special offer. Well, Gloria Feld is a New York Times bestseller, author, speaker, and feminist leader who has gained national recognition as a social and political advocate of women's rights. In 2013, she co-founded Take the Lead, a nonprofit initiative with the goal to propel women to leadership parity by 2025. She's also the former CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, directing the organization from 1996 to 2005. Gloria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. I really want to thank you for all the work you did at the beginning of your career in Planned Parenthood. It really made a difference to so many women around the country. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I consider myself very fortunate to have been able to make my life's passions into my life's work. So before we get into the things you're working on now, since it's in the news, take us, give us your take on the new Texas law and how do you think it's going to affect Roe v. Wade in the long run? Well, I want to start by saying that I believe that that abortion has never been about abortion. It is about women's human and civil right to make her own childbearing decisions. And unfortunately, it, it has been framed otherwise. But until we take it to that higher value set, we will keep fighting the same battles over and over and over again. And that is why I believe it's so important to have gender parity in leadership so that you have the perspectives of women and men as laws are being made. So with that said, uh, I, I, I will say that I have uh, I really believe that that Roe has been so eviscerated that it's its guarantees are no longer solid. 
But what people mostly don't understand is that the the cases that the the principles of Roe are the same principles as Griswold versus Connecticut, which gave us the right to birth control. The same principles as Lawrence versus Texas, which uh, began to codify gay rights. So people need to understand that this is more than a battle over what people would like you to think it's about. And I think it's time for the whole women's movement to take a completely different tack, take control of the agenda, pass laws like the Freedom of Choice Act that will guarantee that everybody has the right to make their own childbearing decisions and go forward from there. What I don't seem to understand is that some of these legislators are so big on the right to choose not to wear a mask. Should people be able to choose what they want to do with their body? Well, you know, it's uh, one of those things that I think you couldn't outlaw reproductive rights until you outlaw hypocrisy. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think, Laura, we're currently moving forward or backward when it comes to gender and race, you know, equality in the workplace? Perfect question. It's both. Barry. It's really both. There are days when it feels like we're moving forward and backward at almost the same pace. Fortunately, I have the opportunity to be able to see the long view, and there has been an immense amount of progress overall. But as Martin Luther King said, the uh, the the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. But I have to ask, how long does that arm have to be? And it seems very long right now. But I do think that we have an opportunity such as we will never have again in our lifetime. A disruption like the pandemic forces people to think differently and forces new ideas into systems. Give me, let me give you an example. Uh, did you ever think you would hear us talking about child care and, and elder care as infrastructure? I would have never imagined in my lifetime right. that we would we would be not only talking about it, but but deep into consideration of of funding it. So it, because now people understand that these are issues that human beings deal with and that need to be given proper attention. I think that it's a time when businesses are recognizing, in fact, that, first of all, they may not need all that expensive real estate they've had. Secondly, that people can work in different ways, that you can work more flexibly, that part of the time at least you can work at home and still be just as productive, that you can take care of your family obligations and do your work. So things that women have been asking for, flexibility that women have been asking for for decades are now becoming routine. So I see, I like to see the positive side of it. You know, it's interesting to me because, I, you know, being 61 years old and this being 2021 for me, I can't believe we're still even talking about this, right? Because I just assumed there would be parity. Is it just that the old guard doesn't want to give up the privileges just like in so many other areas? There is what has been referred to as a thick layer of men at the top. And so they have to, it will take time for that to change. But even more than that, and this was the shocker for me, Barry, was in my research for my books, I found that Actually, some of the biggest barriers are in our own heads, in women's own heads, because we not that not that we're hardwired differently, but that men and women tend to be socialized differently around power and intention. And in order for that to change, I am focusing on helping women understand that power is not a negative. It's what you make out of it, like a hammer. You can build something with it or you can break something apart. So let's take the positive side of it as being the power to 
do what you, what you think is right in this world. And then that removes many of the barriers that women have had to seeing themselves as powerful and to wanting to be powerful when you realize you can use that power for good. You know, it's interesting to me because I look back at my career and especially before I started my own business and I, w- I was at IBM and the best leaders in in my business I've been involved with have been women because I believe they got people better. They saw them as individuals and so they're able to lead them in, in, in a much more effective way. I don't know why other people don't realize that. I think that is such an astute observation, Barry, because one of the things that I that I teach women now is how to use what has been implicit bias about the, you know, like people would laugh at behaviors that women would have. But in truth, those very biases are what have created in us. Again, it's culture acculturated. It's not hardwired, but they have created characteristics in women that do make us the very leaders that companies need right now. That's why all the data shows that companies that have more women in their upper leadership are more profitable. You know, I've seen that statistic before. And then I was also noticing that at least early on, the company, the countries that had the most success against COVID were countries that were led by women. Exactly. Exactly. You know, when you have been the the group that's not in power, you have to learn to read the room. You have to learn to do what you said, Barry. You have to learn to read people better. You have to be more collaborative because that's where you're survival is, is in collaboration with other people. You have to have a little less ego, maybe a little more risk aversion. And those are things that result in, in, in companies making more profits and in countries being better managed, I guess you could say, but also apparently uh, uh, the world bank did a study and found that countries that have more women in their parliaments have a better decision-making process. And I do think that boils down to that. We've been acculturated because we have had to, to be able to have more empathy and to read the room better. So Gloria, what really was your inspiration really to make this area really your life's mission? It started in the civil rights movement. As you mentioned, I've been around for a long time, Barry. And it started really when I got involved in the civil rights movement. And I saw firsthand that people working together can change anything. Even if you don't have formal power, even if you think you have no power, if you gather together with people of like mind, you can change anything. And I also noticed that the women were doing all the frontline work and the men were getting most all of the credit. So I thought, well, if there are civil rights, women must have them too. And that's what I'm going to work for. So that's been my inspiration my whole life. And it also is why I have always seen all of these elements of racial and gender justice as being tied together. I believe we all go forward together or we can't go forward at all. And that uh, that truly racism and sexism and homophobia and, and anti-Semitism and all of these things are joined at the head. And it's our moment now to break out of that, to value people for who they are. And as companies are now getting pressure from their, their, their employees, from the public, from everybody, to actually walk the walk of the fine words they've had on their websites for a long time about diversity and inclusion. Again, I believe this is a moment when we can actually make big progress on all of those fronts. And if they don't do that, they're going to be called out on social media. So that's one good thing about social media. Do you think that, you know, people identifying as trans or non-binary, is this a new front in the battle for civil rights for all people? It, all of these identity issues are, are, we're learning that we, need to be who we are. Uh, The first 
leadership intention tool in my new book, Intentioning, is uncover yourself. Because the first thing you have to do is you have to be really solid in knowing who you are and be willing to let the world know you as who you are. The greatest leaders know who they are. The greatest leaders are authentic People follow people who have a point of view. People follow people who are comfortable in their own skin. So I see the the movement toward, uh, well, there just is more gender, un- there's more understanding of gender and the fact that it is a binary that originally was a social construct. It is still a social construct. And so there is there is room to expand that social construct. And it's time for us to accept that. You know, I love when you say, Gloria, about, you know, uncover yourself, because I think there's more permission these days to be whoever you want to be. And at least my children who are in their 20s, you know, they have friends of all sorts of, you know, gay, straight, trans. And to them, it's no big deal. Oh, this person decided to transition. This person is that. And hopefully that's a good sign. I hope so, too. I really do. I And it's part of it's part of recognizing that every human being has has uh, gifts to bring to the world. And unless you can really be yourself, you can't fully realize those attributes that may, you may be the one to contribute exactly what the world needs next. So I, I know it may sound Pollyanna-ish, but I, having been leading organizations for many years, I have seen that so many times that when people have the ability to utilize the best of who they are, they can bring the organization the best of what it needs. And and so it really inures to everyone's benefit. So you set a goal for parity by 2025. I guess I'm curious, when did you set that goal and how'd you pick that date? Well, it's kind of funny. I, I set the goal in 2013 when we defined the mission of Take the Lead and, and started the organization. And frankly, you know, I started it at a point in my life when I looked at the data and I saw that the most optimistic prediction was that it would take 70 years in the United States to reach parity. And some people said as much as 150 years. Wow. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I could live 70 or 150 years more, I would be happy to do that. But the odds are not good. So I've been working on this for a long time and I want to see gender parity while I can still be here to see it. And that's that was exactly why I set that goal. So you said in 2013, you know, we're now, what, uh, eight years into that. Have we made as much progress as you had hoped? We were on track to make that much progress. We had gone from 18 percent to 25 percent. And then the pandemic came and it has set women back, some say by 10 years, some say by more than that. But as I said, if we take this disruption as the opportunity to bring new ideas into the system, then I think we can also bring many more women into the workforce and from there into leadership. I also think it's easier to go from 25 to 50 than it was to go from one to 25 uh, in percentage points. So I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. And what I know is that, and this is, I think, a leadership principle that I've always had, which is that if you set your goal high, you might not reach it 100%, but you will go further faster than if you had not set that high goal. Gloria, you mentioned a statistic that there was really a setback for women during the COVID pandemic. I think a lot of people wouldn't realize that. What happened? Two things. Number one, women were disproportionately represented in the lowest paid, 
frontline jobs, the things that were human beings had to be dealing with human beings like childcare, healthcare, and so forth, uh, cashiers, uh, you know, the job, the jobs where you, you were the essential workers and, and the lowest paid and the highest risk and the most likely to be laid off as, as the economy shifted to online purchasing versus in-store purchasing, for example. And so that was one part of it. And that fell disproportionately, as you can imagine, on women of color. The other reason has to do with the, the impact of having to educate children at home and having to take care of the elderly, the infirm, very much more by yourself, as opposed to having an, uh, you being able to take them places where they could be cared for or go to, sending the children to physical school. And the pressures of caregiving have disproportionately fallen on women. I do think that men are more aware now because so many more men are working from home, as you, as right. you observe you are, right? And so men are seeing that it's not just a picnic in the park to take care of, of uh, an elderly parent or teach children at home. So I think that there are, you know, again, I think that, that that's why. And And then finally... And this is probably a big piece of the puzzle, which is that people rethink things in times of disruption. And there probably are, are there is some subset of people, both men and women, who are simply rethinking, is this what I wanted for my life or am I going to change it? Well, Gloria, I appreciate you being on the show. If you want to reach Gloria, you can go to our website, taketheleadwomen.com. This is AM820 WCPT in Chicago. We'll be right back. I've got two words for you, cash flow. It's one of the most important things you need to know when you run a small business. And that's why you should know about Plastic. Plastic is the smart payment platform that lets companies maximize their existing credit and pay and get paid in whatever way is best for them. Trying to pay someone that doesn't take a credit card? With Plastic, you can. Need a way to accept credit cards with no merchant fees? Plastic can do that too. Finally, you can have better cash flow and control over your payables and receivables with Plastic. Try it at plastiq.com slash Barry. I got a new book coming out this winter and it's about making change. Now I know after this last year, the last thing you want is to make any more changes, but you have to understand in small business, the only constant is really change. My work over the last 20 years with thousands of small business owners inspired me to write this new book. Well, that's not exactly true. More accurately, my frustration and the resulting challenges of working with small business owners for a long time forced me to write this book. Let me explain. I'm often asked by a lot of companies to help them. Typically, they're stuck and they can't move their business forward. I help them assemble a detailed plan to meet the goal, the critical success factors and actions that need to be completed. They agree with me if they take these specific steps, it will help solve their issues, grow their companies, and make them more money. And then, almost nothing ever happens. Does this sound familiar? Well, my new book, Change Masters, How to Make the Changes You Know You Need to Make, answers the question why and shows you a 20-step process to make any change happen. 
So reserve your copy of Change Masters now at a pre-order price on Amazon.com. And if you can't wait and you need free chapters, go to www.barrymoltz.com slash changemasters. Do you still have great expectations for the Great Recession? Barry can show you how to let go of failure and bounce to get ready for that next great success. Go to www.barrymoltz.com. Barry will show you how to get crazy and achieve your business success. Stick around to get your small business unstuck. More of Small Business Radio with Barry Moltz. Now on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Well, if you're the grandson of the late Seagram CEO, Edgar Bronfman, how do you decide to start an adult beverage company in college with your roommate? My next guest is Zeke Bronfman. Zeke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you come from a adult beverage family. How does this thing get started in uh, college with your roommate, uh, Nate? So I definitely do come from a beverage alcohol family. And I have to say that starting this business was actually despite that, not because <laughs> um, it was never something that I intended to do. And I think it really came out of a genuine need. So when Nate and I met, we came into college from slightly different perspectives. I had obviously grown up drinking a lot of really full flavored, delicious cocktails with my grandfather. And I really missed that authentic drinking experience when I was confronted with the options at a college party, which was pretty much value beer and more value beer. Um, on the other hand, my co-founder, Nate, is a type one diabetic and he was a college athlete. He played rugby and football. And so he couldn't have the sugar or the carbs or the calories um, that I was having in the cocktails or that our friends were having in the beers. And so the two of us just kind of went out onto the market looking for alternatives that combined that rich, authentic flavor profile that I was looking for and combine that with the light, crisp, zero sugar, all natural ingredient format that Nate demanded. And what we realized was nothing on the market checked both of those boxes at the same time. And so we just went back to our dorm room and started mixing our own cocktails that were zero sugar, all natural ingredients, super light, refreshing. And before we knew it, we were making a 30, 40, 50 of these each weekend for all of our friends. And we realized we may have stumbled onto something. So we dug into the market research and realized that there was a huge opportunity here beyond our college campus as well. So let me go back to you said that you really got started in this despite your family's background in, you know, alcohol beverages. Because I find that a lot of times people that are part of successful entrepreneur families, either they're attracted to it or they're really, you know, pushed away from it. Which one were you? I think I was always attracted to the hard work. I was always attracted to you know, doing something that was meaningful, doing something that created value. Um, I think I always wanted to do something that was distinct from my family, though, and, and not give the perception that I was just following in their footsteps. Um, this opportunity was something that we fell in love with and something that obviously there have been huge advantages um, that we've gained as a result, but it is not something that we are doing you know, because of that. It was really something that came out of an organic need. Um, and so I would say it's a little bit of both. I was definitely inspired by my grandfather. I look up to him, um, but I didn't necessarily want to follow in his footsteps exactly. So what do you think he would say if he was still alive today? Truthfully, I'm not sure that he would be so excited about the specifics of the product that we were making. He was uh, cocktail meat seltzer probably doesn't, you know, for a purist probably doesn't work, right? Exactly. But I do think he would be really, really um, proud of what we're doing. And I think that something that he recognized um, his whole career was 
being on the cutting edge of innovation was incredibly important. And they were always developing new, amazing products and launching those and bringing them to market. And I think that's really where we come in is, is on the innovation side, thinking of what's next and growing that fourth category of beverage alcohol, um, which, you know, Seagram really did actually innovate with wine coolers back in the 1980s. So it is something that is definitely following that legacy a little bit. So you created this product called Sesh, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. So Sesh, so how do you go from creating 40 or 50 cocktails, you know, on a weekend in your dorm room to actually bringing an alcoholic product onto the market? Because that seems pretty daunting. Definitely. And I think, honestly, if we had known then what we know now about how much goes into that process, I think we probably would have been a little intimidated. And I don't know that we ever would have done it. Sounds like a lot of entrepreneurial adventures, Zeke, right? If I know then what I know now, I never would have started. Exactly. But I'm really glad we did because we kind of dove in head first and it was sort of, you know, one task after the other. And before you know it, you're going to full scale production. And so what that looked like for us was we started by just mixing these cocktails in our dorm room and getting the recipe as refined as possible through weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of testing. And once we did, we thought we kind of had a perfect recipe that we could then go and commercialize. Little did we know it would take us about 18 more flavor iterations with bartenders, mixologists, and sommeliers to get the um, the flavors exactly as nuanced, complex, and perfect as we wanted. And then once we had refined that process, it was about identifying a co-packer, securing the supply chain, which turned out to be really complicated in the time of COVID, and getting cans, um, the aluminum supply was really difficult. Um, and so it ended up taking us about a you know two years to go from that initial ideation phase all the way to launch because beyond refining the flavors and getting the supply chain locked out, we were also delayed by about nine months due to COVID, um, which actually ended up being, I think, one of the best things that happened to us in the long run. And why is that? It allowed us to really take a step back and grow both our first brand for a really strong launch and also position to have a wider portfolio and think beyond just that first Sesh brand. So over the pandemic, we were initially supposed to launch our brand right before the pandemic launched in just one test market in New Jersey. And when the pandemic hit, we had to make a decision, do we produce or not? And we decided that we were going to hold off on producing because we just did not know what the world had in store. This was back in March. And So instead, we spent the next nine months stripping down every aspect of the brand and building it back up from scratch. We built back the flavors to be even better. We improved the branding. We hired an amazing team led by our COO, Brian Sedra, who was previously leading the venture arm at Anheuser-Busch. And then we brought on an amazing distribution network. We built out our um, great retail network. And we launched Sesh in four test markets instead of just one with some great retailers on board and with an amazing marketing approach to support it. And then... We are now scaling that brand, opening five new markets in the next couple of weeks. And beyond Sesh, we really realized that we had built a platform and infrastructure to launch a portfolio of brands beyond just that one brand. So we could use the team we'd put in place, the infrastructure we'd built, the supply chain we'd secured, the manufacturing, the retailers, the distributors to launch a real portfolio of brands here and sell them all to the same group of dedicated consumers who are looking for innovative products in that fourth category of beverage alcohol which is everything beyond the traditional wine, beer, and spirits. You know, Zeke, you bring up a good point because a lot of people want to get into retail, but they want to get into with one product. And what people have to understand is that retailers want to carry a whole series of products from the same company, right? Definitely. And we also have to be careful to not, you know, 
push too many products on our retailers. They have limited shelf space and we are incredibly lucky to earn any any placements in these retailers. But what we focus on is delivering value to them and making sure that every single product we put on their shelf is going to get them more dollars for that space than any other product. And then um, hopefully they'll want more and more of our products is the idea. So Zeke, how do you get people actually to try the product? Because it's one thing to create an incredible product, but the best product always doesn't win in the marketplace. How do you get people to say, yeah, let me, let me give it a shot and all right, I'll take another one. Definitely. So for us, that all starts with having the highest quality liquid we could possibly have. And that took year, a year and over 20 flavor iterations to get just right. And it all starts with that liquid so that once you get someone to try it that first time, they always come back for more. And so that's the foundation of everything we do. Beyond that, every single thing we think about is getting liquid to lips. So whether that's in-store samplings, of which we're conducting over 50 a month um, at key retail accounts, or whether that's events that we're hosting, which we're doing over 25 a month where people are sampling and trying sesh, um, or whether that's at you know innovative, um, different sampling opportunities, like things we're trying at um, college campuses where we have over 75 LDA ambassadors for hosting samplings at their apartments each weekend um, and different events like that. So the key goal is just get as many people to try the product as possible. And then we retarget them with, social digital ads with SMS marketing and email marketing. Um, because once people have tried it, the conversion rate to repeat purchasers is incredibly high. So you see this really as a retail product. What about the whole new delivery channel where people are just ordering this stuff off their phones? Absolutely. So the core of the SESH business and most of our volume will definitely come from our retail partners. We're also incredibly heavily invested in the e-commerce side of the business. Um, one of our most essential partners is GoPuff, um, who's on the cutting edge of alcohol delivery. We're also partnered with Drizzly in the markets we're in. On the second brand we're launching, which is yet to be announced, it's coming to the market in October. Um, you can announce it now. Yeah, we, it's a really exciting brand. We'll, we'll be telling more about it soon. It's a um, with an amazing celebrity co-founder, and I will come and announce it on the show in a couple right. of weeks. I'll hold it you is, to that. Okay, it is going to be really exciting, and that's going to be a primarily um, e-commerce, DTC-focused brand initially with some um, really strategic retailers layered in as well. And so who's really the target for this product, Zeke? We're really targeting, you know, I think initially we had really thought we had a core target of you know, 21 to 30 year old um, recent college graduate young professionals who um, are ambitious, hardworking, but also like to have a good time, care about their health, care about health and wellness, um, but aren't willing to sacrifice on good flavor. Um, what we've realized is that that is a very strong audience for us but a secondary audience that's proven to be really, really impressive and really um, liked our product more than I think we'd expected is this audience of kind of 35 to 45 year old young parents or, you know, second, third um, kind of job out of college, kind of a little bit more mature in their career who are starting to get to the point where they aren't willing to have a zero flavor spike seltzer. They want that full flavor. They want that authentic drinking experience but they're not willing to have 350 calories anymore, 30 grams of sugar and 30 carbs just to have a drink. And so who do you think the competition is? Because there's so, you know, especially now with the legalization of cannabis in so many different states, there's, can I say, so many ways to have fun. 
Who's the competition, do you think, for SESH? Like, I think you make a really good point in that we are definitely competing against other spike seltzers. We're competing against other ready-to-drink cocktails, but we're also competing against cannabis. We're competing against non-alcoholic beverages. And there's really a lot of things out there that are competing for consumers' attention and, and consumers' dollars. Um, I think we are definitely competing with all of those different things. But at the same time, there's a role for a lot of those to coexist in a consumer's life. We're not trying to replace their spike seltzers. We're not trying to replace their wine. We're not trying to replace their spirits. We're trying to be a plus one to all of that. And we think we fit in really, really well. And we've seen that consumers are willing to go to the store and buy their white claw and then also buy the sesh because it adds a ton of value and offers a different value prop to the consumer. Do you think that, do you see that the product really uh, being used a lot since it's already kind of in its own pre-made can during the, the warmer months when people are outside? Definitely. And we see that across the category. Almost everything that's canned um, has a huge lift in the summer, though relative to other spike seltzers, we've seen a little bit more success in colder months as well, given the fact that we are a you know full flavored canned cocktail versus just a fruit flavored seltzer. And so no one really wants to drink a mango flavored seltzer when it's 30 degrees right, out, but exactly. people are still going for a Moscow mule. Right, exactly. You know, it's certainly, this is one of the categories that's done pretty well during the pandemic as people have had more time in their hands. Absolutely. So I asked you before, you know, if your grandfather was alive, what he would have thought. Tell me about what your extended family think of all this, because certainly it brings certain opportunities being a Bronfman, but it also brings a lot of pressure. Absolutely. Um, I'm very lucky that my family has been incredibly supportive of this. Um, obviously, we're doing this on our own. They're not involved on a day to day level whatsoever. Um, but we are incredibly lucky to have access to some introductions from them um, and most importantly to years of experience in the industry um, that can give us some good context for a lot of what we're seeing. Well, Zeke, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, where can people try out Sesh? Thank you so much. They can go to drinksesh.com and we have a store located on our website. They can find stores near them. We're available for sale in New York, New Jersey, Ohio, and Illinois. And starting in a few weeks, we're adding in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Tennessee, and Georgia. So we are available all over. And if you're not in one of those states, you can order us online direct to consumer. And give us the website for Sesh. Drinksesh.com. Zeke, thanks so much. This is AMA20, WCPT in Chicago. We'll be right back. Nice Job is a reputation marketing software that can help you grow your service business. Nice Job's automated tools will help you collect two to three times more reviews and then share those reviews where it matters most. Using social proof and a high converting website, you can be the top rated in your field. If you want to try it out like I have, please go to HTTPS colon slash slash nicejob.grsm.io slash Barry. Use the code Barry and get $50 off a nice job review plan. Running a small business is hard and confusing. Most entrepreneurs start a company to solve a problem and just want to focus on doing only that. Unfortunately, running a business gets in the way and everything that comes along with it, like marketing, sales, customer service, employees, freelancers, and vendors, and money and finance. Barry's new book, Small Business Hacks, 100 Shortcuts to Your Success, solves this problem. It's a simple guide for anyone in a small business to be able to accomplish one of these tasks in five steps or less. No more angst over the 
issue of searching for the solution on the web. Riva Leonsky and Barry assembled these tips from their combined 50 years in business, both as small business owners and as journalists interviewing thought leaders about their path to prosperity. It's never been easier to start a business, but with so much competition moving at the speed of the internet, it's also never been so easy to fail. This doesn't have to be you. Keep this guide nearby on your desk, tablet, smartphone, or under your pillow. It'll allow you to quickly bust through most problems you'll encounter and leave more time to do what you love at your company. I've got two words for you, cash flow. It's one of the most important things you need to know when you run a small business. And that's why you should know about Plastic. Plastic is the smart payment platform that lets companies maximize their existing credit and pay and get paid in whatever way is best for them. Trying to pay someone that doesn't take a credit card? With Plastic, you can. Need a way to accept credit cards with no merchant fees? Plastic can do that too. Finally, you can have better cash flow and control over your payables and receivables with Plastic. Try it at PLASTIQ.com slash Barry. Stick around to get your small business unstuck. More of Small Business Radio with Barry Moltz. Now on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. During the pandemic, funding for small businesses and nonprofit organizations got a lot more difficult. But what grants are available now? My next guest is Libby Hyken, a national grants expert, established a grant writing agency in 1994. From 1991 to 2001, she created the Grant Watch, a grant newsletter publication for nonprofits and small businesses. Libby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. So what happened during the pandemic for small businesses and nonprofits when it came to grants? Well, once the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to help. And so you found that corporations, foundations, government agencies, everyone was getting into it. And there were so many grants that we needed to create a coronavirus uh, COVID-19 category on GrantWatch. And we have filled it up and we're constantly adding new grants that we found that are being put out. Still going on, it's still very strong. So that's really interesting. So I would expect you to answer, well, grants kind of dried up. But what you're saying is that corporations actually stepped into the void and said, we want to help. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And they're just, it's nonstop. Everybody wants to get in on it. And my staff, they felt terrible with everything that was going on. They had people, you know, in their families and distant uh, cousins and friends that were getting ill and they couldn't do anything. Everybody was kind of like stuck in their homes, all offices closed. We, everybody was working remotely and they wanted to feel they were doing something. And it became such a challenge for everyone that works for Grant Watch to locate a grant that would help with the COVID recovery. And that's what happened. And it was just such a great feeling for my staff to be able to put in this extra work. And the corporations and foundations and government agencies, they were also coming through. So it was just a great initiative that we put out there. So I just want to make sure we have a definition of a grant. A grant is money given to an organization that is doesn't need to be paid back, right? It's a gift. It's a donation. Right. But it is a gift or donation based on what you write in the application. So if you create a budget 
in your app, which most grants um, request, if you create when you create a budget, you have to identify how every penny of your request will be spent. And then when the money comes in, you need to open up a separate account, um, earmark it. This is what the, you know, nickname the account, whatever the funds are from, and only spend it according to that budget. And if you're going to make a change, because, I don't know, you were purchasing laptops for a workforce development training program, and it turned out that the store down the block wanted to donate to your organization, laptops and so now instead of needing 20 you only need 15 and you have the the amount of money for five of them available and you realize i would like to hire a mentor i'm just putting this all out there right a mentor to to um, teach people teach workforce training skills on a one in one basis or something like that so now you have to contact the funding source and tell them you want to make a budget modification so when you're given money and it's a gift, it's a grant, you need to spend it according to how you said you were going to spend it. Now, is that because they, the organization actually comes back and takes a look, or you're just ensuring if they do come back and take a look, you're protected? Well, some uh, funding sources ask for a final report and want to look at how the money was spent, and some don't. So you have to always be protected. You don't want to be one of those people that end up in the newspaper. Um, we've all read the story. <laughs> At least not for that reason, it. right? <laughs> yes. Um, we want to be in the newspaper for the great things we do, uh, not for the stupid things that people do. And we've all read articles where somebody got a grant and they bought themselves a new sports car, right? That wasn't what the money was intended for. And so it's a misappropriation of funds, and you never want to get into that. So Libby, tell us what kinds of things are available that a lot of small business and nonprofits know nothing about. Well, what we have on GrantWatch is we have um, a recipient category. So you can put in whether you are a nonprofit, small business, or individual searching for a grant. And then you have categories, and we have, I think, about 59-plus categories at this point. We add new ones every time there's uh, a, a large influx in a certain uh, industry. And you would then see what's available. Uh, the grants range uh, really many different areas, but right now there's a lot, as we said, to aid in the recovery for the pandemic, uh, to retrofit your business in some way, workforce training, uh, operating costs, employee salaries, um, mitigating revenue losses, expansion of a business, marketing costs. These are all things that come up. They come out, the deadline passes, and it's not there anymore. So the minute you see a grant that's available, you want to start your application. You don't want to wait because by the time you're, you're ready, it's gone. And what kind of dollars are available? Are we talking about $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars? It really depends on the industry, because if your industry um, is uh, energy, then we're talking in really large numbers because they want a lot of research to happen. They want new, they want innovations. Uh, so it really depends what you're doing. And if, if you, let's say it's a workforce training grant, if it's from, I don't know, some barbership, barber shop uh, kind of organization, it's going to be a lot smaller than if it's from the federal government to to create new avenues for people to find jobs. So, now, so it really depends. No, so this is also vary by state and uh, also town? 
it's well we categorize by state so we do have a usa category on grant uh, grant watch but we list all the states provinces territories uh federations we list uh besides the united states we have canada israel and international uh, international is like a generic kind of so everything will go in there that's international but in the usa we do it by state and so if you're in california you're going to look at california.grantwatch.com and in there you'll see uh different towns and and cities within california as and you'll see general california and you might even see usa because california of course is part of the usa so that's how you will look at grantwatch by um category by your location by who's the recipient of the funds so you've probably looked at you know thousands of grants any ones that stand out as being especially innovative or interesting or special well i asked my staff just before i came on to list some grants that we like and i had them look and um so i got a few from them uh and here we have grants to washington businesses in eligible locations for support during the coronavirus uh crisis grants to illinois small business to offset revenue losses related to covid-19 uh grants to us small businesses for support to offset the negative financial impact of covid uh health crisis and it just goes on and on they were just i found one back to business b2b grant program that i'm giving away the title of an actual right. grant uh and then i went and i did a look um for myself to see wow how many people you know what are the largest grants that people are looking at at this moment and it's very it's so varied of what people you know when they see a title where they're going the same way you go into a library everybody picks a different book off the shelf right and certain words just speak to certain people um here's one grants to usa black owned businesses to allevi- alleviate the adverse financial impact of the covid-19 pandemic being given from the coalition to black businesses and that's due september 30th so uh that's you know something that's why i'm saying you just want to jump on things right away um here's one this is for individuals grants to usa female professional athletes for child care expenses it, it the, well from the general to the, the very price. specific so it seems right. like there's a, there right. seems like there's really a grant for every small business nonprofit or person you just got to look and find you just have to look and you have to understand we are not one of those dvds you could buy years ago and there was just a whole list of foundations on there and you'd have to research the foundation and find out when a grant is available or if or if it's a family foundation they're not getting grants we are a living breathing search engine we add new grants every single day and we archive grants every single day so that we're fresh constantly fill restocking filling up the shelves of what grants are available so if you don't see something today you might see it tomorrow or the next week and you just have to kind of be in this to win it so how do you maximize your chances of actually winning a grant in any particular industry well the first thing is never apply for something that you where you don't meet the eligibility requirements because if you look at it you go well maybe they like me you know this you're not dating <laughs> you know <laughs> you have to be eligible for that particular grant so if you're not you have a choice one if you're not eligible and there's somebody else some other business or 
nonprofit that you can team up with that would then make you meet all the eligibility requirements, then you can apply. I always use this as an example. If you are running here, if you're running a workforce training program and the federal government also wants you to have some kind of childcare program or parenting program connected to it, because um, job retention always has to do with the stresses, the stressors that people have in their life. Right. So if they don't have childcare or they don't have they're not they can't manage their time, time management or something like that. And you can't don't feel that you can teach that or provide that service. But, you know, some other organization that can or you belong to some small business networking uh, group and you want to walk in there. Hey, this is available. I just need somebody who can do this, who who can. Right. And you want to team up, then you can apply. But if you can't. If you don't meet the eligibility requirements, like you have to be in business five years to apply, but you're only in business four years, don't bother because you're going to do all this work. It's going to go in the in the trash. So make sure you meet the eligibility requirements. What's another great tip? Okay. you Another great tip is your passion needs to jump off the paper. Really, that's why I always recommend. We have, we also, Grant Watch also owns Grant Writer Team. So they're separate corporations, but we're all together. So if you need a grant writer, I recommend you use grant writer team. But I always say write your first grant yourself because that's how you'll get your passion out. You'll start to get it on paper. The reader has to see it. It has to pop because they get so many applications. And that's really what makes you stand out above everyone else. So what you're saying is you just can't mail this in, right? You've got to really show some passion and some thought behind this. Right, right. And then if I, if you want my other tip, it would be follow the directions of the application very, very carefully. If the application is, if you're submitting, let's say, a Word doc for the application, and they told you to use 12-point font times Roman, and your margin should be an inch then do it. <laughs> Don't say, but it looks nicer in 14 and I like sand surf better. Follow the directions because these things get your um, application thrown out. The federal government is so, so specific an application done. So if I, if I was to tell you, you need to be eligible for what you're applying for. You need to follow directions and you need to have your passion jump off the page. So, Libby, how long does it take on average to actually fill out one of these grant applications? I'm sure it varies, but how much time should a small business, uh, you know, uh, think that they should spend on these types of things? Well, they really need to first take a look at the application because you can have a one page application that's online. Check a few boxes and submit. And that's not something, you know, we're really not discussing that kind of application right now. Use, even if they have a one-pager, there's going to be a paragraph or two that you need to fill in, and that's really where you're going to shine from someplace else. But I've written grants that can go from, I did a five-page application, and every section had a word count. The hardest thing I ever did, because they had specific questions, and I needed to fill that into that word count, and I kept rewriting and rewriting to make sure I got everything in there, as opposed to a hundred page application and I can keep going and I can add another hundred pages of appendices to it, which was great because I had so much to offer and to insert, 
Whereas another application, well, you can add one append, you know, page of appendices, and then uh, and and there's a word count. So I can't even I can't give you an answer. I can tell you that the federal government they're very kind, and they list how many hours they suggest uh, that you'll need to complete the application. And Libby, what do you think uh, the expectation should be as far as success rate? I mean, if I submit, you know, 10, I might get one. Or if I submit 100, I might get one. What's your experience been there? Oh, again, these answers vary so much. Um, The first thing is with a business, don't look at a grant that this is going to save you. And you continue spending the money because you applied for a grant. You really have to manage your business well. And, and I, I've noticed you've written a, a, a lot of books about managing businesses and all everything that goes into one. But so if somebody says, you know, like I, I had a staff member leave me to go to work for this other new company. And she said, well, they had ping pong tables and pool tables and swings and they wanted us to be creative. And we had these little hubs and everything else and we're getting laptops. And I was just like saying, Oh, I feel so bad for you in my mind because that business is going to close. They just opened. They're spending all this money and they haven't raised, you know, nothing, right? Don't do that. (laughs) Don't look at the grant that this is going to be the free money. It's coming in and you can spend everything you want. You have to stick to a budget. This is the cream of the crop, the cherry on the top of what you're doing. This is going to help this. A business will help you retrofit. A grant will help you retrofit, expand or do something, but if your business is not operating the way a business should be, no grant is gonna save you. Well, Libby, I appreciate you being on the show. Where can people reach you? I assume at www.grantwatch.com? Correct, and we also have an email support at grantwatch.com. The phone number is on the top of the website, and there's a chat button, so we're available through chat, phone, email, and of course, grantwatch.com just start searching. Libby, thanks again for joining us. And I want to thank everyone for joining this week's radio show. I got to thank our sponsors, Nice Job, the amazing tool that can make it easy to build more reviews to grow your business. To get started, go to https colon slash slash nicejob.grsm.io slash Barry and get $50 off. I also want to thank Plastique, a smarter payment platform for your small business. Go to plastique.com slash Barry and Plastique is spelled P-L-A-S-T-I-Q and get a special offer there. Thanks to our incredible staff, our booking producer, Sarah Schaffrin, our in-studio producer, Lady B, our marketing manager, Courtney Gilcrest. If you're serious about being successful in this post-COVID economy, give me a call, 773-837-8250, or email me at barry at moltz.com. Remember, love everyone, trust a few, pile your own canoe, and go out there and get vaccinated. Have a profitable and passionate week. You can find Barry Moltz on the web at barrymoltz.com or more episodes of Small Business Radio at smallbizradioshow.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.